Good morning. Oh, great to see you all. My name's Scott. If you're uh, new with us today, welcome. I'd love to get to meet you afterwards over uh, morning tea. Uh, if you've got your Bibles there or your phones on Luke chapter 1, try and keep them open uh, so you can follow along as we go. And uh, let me pray and ask God for his help. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for Christmas. And we thank you that uh, here we can read all about the events that unfolded around that first Christmas. And Lord, we pray this morning we would realise just how significant and amazing and wonderful they are for us today. Amen. Well, you can also follow along a uh, little outline you'll find there in your handouts this morning. Well, right now, right today, just before Christmas, the shadow of death hangs over Gaza. Explosions, clouds of dust and smoke, gunfire, all constant reminders of a powerful enemy seeking vengeance. Every day in Gaza, these explosions and the gunfire and the, and the smoke and the dust are constant reminders that death looms, casting its shadow over every part of life. And so birthdays, weddings, holidays, even dinner and breakfast and lunch, even going to sleep at night, death casts its shadow over every part of life. Death's shadow also covers the east block of San Quentin Prison where 700 inmates are on death row awaiting execution for their crimes. Death's shadow hangs over the palliative care ward of the Royal Adelaide Hospital as the bodies of patients beyond medical cure slowly deteriorate due to disease and old age. See, there are some people in our world, aren't there, who are acutely aware that death's shadow hangs over their heads tainting and tinting every aspect of their lives. And I know that there are some of us here this morning who are acutely aware of death's shadow over our lives. See, we all know theoretically, don't we, that one day we will die. But I suspect that this reality isn't something that a lot of us are really all that conscious of day to day. Not because the death's shadow doesn't hang over us, it does. See, no matter how distant we are from the rockets of war, no matter how beautiful our cemeteries look, no matter how peaceful and sedated our palliative care wards are, death casts a shadow over every part of our lives. Let me ask you a question. Why do we, you know, as teenagers and young adults, why do we get so upset when we don't make that state squad we had our hearts set on? It's because deep down we know that our bodies are only getting older and that we'll lose our chance. That's death's shadow. Why do we feel so devastated when a business or an investment or our super fails and we find ourselves in, in a worse financial situation when we hit retirement than we were planning? Well, it's because subconsciously we know that actually we don't have unlimited time for our funds to bounce back. That's death's shadow. And why do we lament grey hair and shrinking muscles and sagging skin? 
These are all painful reminders, actually, that the sand is trickling through the hourglass. That's death's shadow. Why do we pour hundreds of dollars into gym memberships and vitamins and healthy food and fitness programs? Well, because we know, deep down, that death's shadow hangs over every part of our lives. See, for many of us, we need to stop living in this denial and face up to this reality that death's shadow hangs over us. Just like every human that's ever lived in every generation before us, we live in the shadow of death. And it casts a subtle chill over every part of our lives. See, death's shadow is the darkness that was before Christmas. Death's shadow is the reason why Christmas came. Point two, a new name and a new day. One couple who knew they were under the shadow of death was Zechariah and Elizabeth. They were old. The shadow of death had been over Elizabeth's womb, so that rather than life, they could not have a child. And now, as they got older and older, way past the years of having babies, there was no chance. But as we saw a few weeks ago, God had a massive surprise for them. Zechariah, visited by the angel, told him that they would have a baby, a very special baby who they must name John. And when Zechariah didn't believe God's word, we saw that in the video, didn't we? God reached down and switched his mute button on and turned Zechariah into silent. And because he didn't believe God's word, he wouldn't be able to speak until everything the angel had said, the things that Zechariah hadn't believed, came true. And so now it's roughly nine months later and a new day has dawned. Now, um, who's had to choose a name for a baby before? Anyone chose a name for a baby? I wonder, how did, how did you choose the name for your baby? Did you choose maybe uh, uh, just something you liked the sound of? Maybe you chose a name with a meaning. You liked the meaning of the name. Or maybe you chose a name because it, uh, there's someone else in your family who had that name or a friend or someone you look up to who you would love your child to be like, who you named them after. Um, it seems like the, uh, all the celebrities these days, they just grab uh, the Scrabble tiles and just chuck them on the floor and they just see how it lands. Some of you can't even pronounce, you know. Even the parents can't pronounce them. They just call them like X or Y or whatever. There's lots of different ways to name a child, isn't there? Uh, but, you know, back in uh, the time when John was born, his name was quite a radical name. Now, when we think of sort of radical names, John probably doesn't hit the list, does it? But actually, when Zechariah and Elizabeth named their son John, it was a bit of a radical change from the tradition. Not because the name itself was unusual, because they were breaking with the normal tradition of how a name is chosen. Have a look there at verse 57. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbours and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, as was the custom, they came to circumcise the child and they, that's all the other people who had heard, were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he's going to be called John. And they scratched their heads and they thought, this is very odd. And they said, but hang on. There's no one among your relatives who has that name. 
See, the normal tradition in that part of the world at that time was that the firstborn son would take the father's name or the name of someone else from the family. But Elizabeth knew, actually, that this child was different. The angel had told them the name that God had chosen. John. Well, the people think this is very strange, and they say, well, we better check with Dad. And so uh, they make sign language to Zechariah, so it seems like he wasn't just unable to speak. It seems like he couldn't hear them either. They start signing to John, say, uh, to Zechariah, saying, well, what, what should he be called? And he takes a writing tablet, and to their astonishment, Zechariah agrees with Elizabeth. Verse 63, he wrote, his name is John. And even though the people were astonished, even though this was a break from tradition, we see here that Zechariah and Elizabeth chose to obey God rather than go with the crowd. And as the story unfolds, we'll see that everything about Christmas is a break from tradition. Everything about Christmas is a break from the comfortable and the normal to something new and radical. And that God calls us to go against the flow and believe and follow his word. Now, my name uh, is Scott. My parents named me Scott. Actually, I don't know quite why. I think they just liked the name. Uh, but, you know, actually, it, it could have been a different name. I could have been called Michael or Terry or anything. Thanks, Jude. I like the encouragement. I do like, I do like the name Scott. I, I could have had a different name. And, and what would it have changed, hey? My signature? Probably nothing, really. Maybe I would have some slightly different nicknames. But I could have a different name, and what does it matter? We might ask the question, well, why is it such a big deal what this child is called? Why does it matter? What difference does it make if he's called Zechariah or John or Scott or Trevor? Well, in the Bible, names often have a special significance because they have meanings. Have a look on the slide here. Zechariah's name means God remembers. John means God is gracious. See, in this new name, God is signalling that with the birth of John, with Christmas, which was right at the doorstep, comes a new day of grace, a new dawn of grace and mercy. See, because in the past, God, the righteous judge, has remembered our sins, remembered our crimes, our wrongs. John's name here is a clue that because of Christmas, God was going to show grace to deal with and forget and to cover our sins, though he doesn't need to remember them anymore. And we see actually this new day straight away. As soon as John's name is given, God shows this grace towards Zechariah. Have a look at verse 64. Immediately, as Zechariah has just written, his name is John. Immediately, his mouth was opened and his tongue was set free. He began to speak, praising God. And all the neighbours were filled with awe and throughout the hill country of Judea, people would talk about all these things. See, God had made Zechariah unable to speak and to hear 
because he didn't believe the promise that God had given. See, every day, Zechariah's inability to speak, his silence was a sign that God remembered that sin. When John was born and what the angel had promised came to be, God freed Zechariah's tongue, enabled him to speak as a sign that that sin that God had remembered, God had shown Zechariah grace, mercy, and Zechariah was now free. See, after nine plus months of forced silence, after nine odd months of reflecting on what the angel had said, nine odd months of thinking of what an idiot I must have been to have not believed the angel's word, after nine months of realising that he totally deserved everything he got, Zechariah is overwhelmed at God's grace and mercy. He's full of thankfulness for God's kindness and he overflows with joy and praise. And all the people around go, whoa, this is some crazy stuff. This baby must be something pretty special. But do you notice there, actually, right after God set Zechariah's tongue free, God took control of it. Have a look at verse 67. We read, Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. What this means is, is that God's Spirit came on to Zechariah and started speaking through him. It's kind of like God from heaven sort of tapped into Zechariah like a Bluetooth speaker. And so that Zechariah started speaking the things that God wanted to announce to the world. And he confirmed this really is a new day of salvation. Point three, salvation has come. Have a look at verse 68. This is what Zechariah, in Bluetooth speaker mode from God, has to say. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation. Now think, think rhino, not trumpet, a big strong horn. He's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. To show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Now I want you to just put your hand up if you've ever had someone save you from something significant. You know, maybe you were in a car crash and you had you know, the SES come and, and get you out or maybe there was a fire coming towards your property and the, the fireys, they came and they put that out or, or maybe uh, you were having a heart attack and some people did CPR, I don't know, but... Um, Exactly 20 years ago, when I had just finished high school and I was kind of in that little holiday mode and I was with some friends at the beach, uh, I ended up, I've never been a great swimmer, uh, and I ended up getting caught in a rip and I'd taken in a lot of water and I was running out of puff and I started to drown. And I had a mate who spotted me and, and this guy was like, he was like a tank, he did swim squad, he was a lifeguard and he sort of looks over at me and laughs and goes, hey Scotty, are you all right? 
I said, no, I'm drowning. And he laughed again. I said, no, no, I'm actually drowning. Uh, and he swam over and he, he grabbed me and, and he just dragged me. I don't know how he did it. I can't even swim with one arm on my own. He swam with one arm and pulled two of us. And he dragged me to safety. See, the thing is, when someone saves you from something like that, it's quite significant, right? It becomes a defining moment in your life. Actually, that's the moment I could have died. It could have all ended 20 years ago for Scott Maxwell. Way back in the history of the nation of Israel, they had a moment like that. A moment when they were saved. It's called the Exodus. It's, it's back in Egypt when they were slaves and God rescued them. He, he exited, exodused them from slavery where they'd been beaten and whipped and forced to work, where the Egyptians were killing their babies to stop them from growing. God saved them. And you know, in the Bible, back at that moment, uses very similar language to the language that Zechariah uses here to talk about what God's about to do at Christmas. See, back in the Bible in Exodus, we read, God remembered his covenant, his promises to Abraham. God came to his people. God redeemed them and brought them out of slavery. God raised up his servant Moses to bring salvation from their enemies so that the people could come out of Egypt and worship him as his holy people. God had done this through amazing miracles and signs. Actually, God even split the Red Sea in two so Israel could walk through the middle. Well, now, through Zechariah, God announces that he is doing something every bit as big and life-changing and momentous as that. God has come. God has redeemed his people from slavery. He has brought them back out of slavery. He has raised up a horn, a mighty weapon, a saviour to bring salvation. His undefeatable king that he had promised for generations would come. He's remembered the promises he's made. He's doing everything he said he would. And God is rescuing his people from their enemies so they can serve him without fear as his holy people. See, Zechariah in Bluetooth speaker mode from God is announcing a new day of salvation where God would come and rescue his people. And notice it's not because they deserved it, but it's because of God's mercy. Have a look. Point four, the sun has risen. Verse 76. Zechariah says to his son John, And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. Now, how, how good is the sun? We wouldn't be here without it. But how, how awesome is sunshine? I mean, it's just amazing, isn't it? You know, you've been inside or you've been in the shade or the clouds have been covering and then, and then the sun comes out 
and you feel it on your face and your skin. It's awesome, isn't it? I often get out of my office and I take my computer and my hat and my sunnies and I sit out in the sun and I work there. It's just, it's kind of, it's kind of healing, isn't it? You know, whatever is going on for you in your life, when you step into that sunshine, you just feel a tiny little bit better about it, you know? It's healing, it's restoring, it's reinvigorating. But at the beginning, I asked you uh, if you can feel the chill of death's shadow. Are you aware, personally, of the shadow of death looming over every part of your life? Do you feel that chill that in even the things you enjoy are slightly tainted by that subconscious knowledge that even the good things you enjoy won't last forever? Do you feel that? Actually, I hope that you can feel it, because if not, you're living in a fantasy. But now I've got an even more important question. And this question is, can you feel the healing, reinvigorating, restoring warmth of the light of God's mercy, the light of God's sun shining on you? Do you feel the warmth of Christmas, of knowing that Jesus has come because God is merciful to you? And does that warmth cut through the chill of the shadow of death and give you life and healing and restoring? See, good news of Christmas is that God is merciful and sent Jesus into the world to cut through that darkness of the shadow of death, to bring salvation, not from being slaves to earthly masters, not salvation from heart attack or drowning, but to bring salvation from death itself. So, you know, the biggest problem with death isn't actually that we die. I don't know if you've thought about that. The biggest problem is not that we die. The biggest problem is that after we die, we will face God with all of our sin. We'll face God carrying all the weight of our guilt and our shame, of all of our crimes from all of our life. The Bible calls this sin. See, the shadow of death is that after we die, we face God with that sin. And we can't stand in the presence of a perfect and holy God with our sin. Actually, these verses here, uh, in verses 78 and 79, Zechariah is actually quoting a prophet, another one of God's Bluetooth speakers from heaven from hundreds of years earlier, a prophet called Malachi. It's just come up, the words have come up for us there from Malachi 4, verse 1. God speaks through Malachi hundreds of years earlier, 400 years earlier. Surely the day is coming, God says. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble, burnt up like dry grass. The day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. But for you who revere my name, you who honour me, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays. And you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. 
See, the shadow of death is not that we die, but that after we die, we face God's judgment. And the light of Christmas is healing, mercy, and it's forgiveness. Have a look at verse 77. See, what is the salvation that comes with Christmas? It's forgiveness of sins. How are we rescued from the shadow of death? By having the sins, the thing that makes death a problem, taken away. So that after we die, we don't have to face God carrying that sin and face his judgment. We come to God with all that sin wiped away, having received his mercy and his grace and his forgiveness. Not because we deserve it, but because he's merciful. Now, I don't know if you've met uh, Fred and Helen. Uh, Fred and Helen sitting over there. And uh, Fred's, Fred's come in with his walker. And uh, the reason why Fred has a walker uh, is that Fred has motor neurone disease. Uh, if you know anything about that disease, it's, it's a horrible, horrible disease. And Fred's body is, is rapidly deteriorating. And Fred won't live very long. Fred and Helen are acutely aware of the shadow of death over their lives. I've spent a bit of time with Fred and Helen this week and every time I've met up with Fred and Helen, I've been so encouraged at the way the sun that rose at Christmas has transformed the way they see Fred's coming death. I've been so encouraged by the way that even though the process of dying is horrible and scary, Fred and Helen know the good news. Their sins are forgiven. They will stand before God, accepted, welcomed, holy and righteous because of God's great mercy in sending Jesus his son. They face death with joy and peace because they've received the mercy of God. Friends, Fred and Helen can feel the warming, healing, life-giving rays of the sun, of God's mercy shown to us in Jesus, of having their sins forgiven. They feel that warmth that shines and cuts through the shadow and the chill of death. My question for you is, do you? Do you know the warmth of the sun of righteousness that has risen, that brings forgiveness and healing, that wants to guide you into the path of peace? I just want to finish with one little uh, reflection from what we've just read. So we can have nothing to fear in death, just like Fred and Helen. We can have forgiveness. We can have peace with God. But only if we act on what God has done. Here Zechariah says that John was sent to prepare people for Jesus by giving the knowledge of salvation. The knowledge of salvation through forgiveness of sins. 
and says that Jesus came in to shine into the darkness to guide our feet into the path of peace. Friends, it's not enough to have that knowledge and not act on it. It's not enough to see that path and not take it. We must act on that knowledge. We must take that path just like Israel picked up their lives and walked out of Egypt, following the saviour God had given. We have to bring our lives to Jesus. Come to him, ask him, trust him to save us. We have to step onto that path of peace, of giving our sins to him, asking his forgiveness. And he will. For he is merciful. He will forgive and remember your sins no more. Christmas is the proof. And friends, when you've done that, you'll know the incredible warmth of Christmas. The incredible warmth of the risen sun who has shined onto us under the shadow of death who has forgiven your sins that we face God knowing his incredible mercy and love, his holy people, to serve him and live in his presence. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your incredible love for us. We thank you for sending Jesus. We thank you He came to bring forgiveness. We thank you he came as our saviour to rescue us from our ultimate enemy, our own sin, so that we can face death knowing that we have had our sin forgiven, wiped away, that he has made us holy and righteous and that we are at peace with you. Lord, this Christmas, may every one of us know the joy of stepping into the sun of the light of Jesus and his forgiveness and having it wipe and wash away every sin, fear and shame. Amen.